Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. What's happening, guys, and welcome to this week's It's All Black Academic with me, Jordan, Jarrett, Brian. Now, on the show this week, we're going to have a chat, a discussion around racism in medicine. Okay, so now we've all seen uh, the fallout of the pandemic and the lockdown due to COVID-19 during the spring period. And many of our community um, have, have, have died, lost their lives. Um, but I'm really interested to kind of extrapolate the kind of the whys and get to the roots of what we're being told in mainstream media is indeed true or false, but also the experience of working for the NHS in this country in particular um, as a black person. And to do so, I've got a really strong panel with me here uh, today, starting with Professor of Black Studies and author, Dr. Kahinde Andrews. I'm also joined by reader of toxicology and biochemistry at the University of East London, Dr. Winston Morgan. And third, but not least by any means, I have medical student and a member of the charity Melanin Medics. And she was also, you've got to put some respect on this woman's name, she was also invited to the White House by the former First Lady, Michelle Obama, Khadija Owusu. Guys, how are we all doing today? Are we well? You nice? Yeah, good. Yeah, we're good. I'm good. good. So guys, I want to start off by not asking you whether you think there's racism within the NHS and the medical profession in this country, but I'm really keen to find out how much racism you guys think there is in the NHS. The current climate with COVID-19 has definitely brought it more to light to show that it's been an issue for a very long time. And it's now that people are essentially listening, people are essentially hearing that this is what has been going on for a very long time. And um, it's, of course, it's unfortunate that Thousands of lives have been lost during this period, but now at least it has been brought to the forefront and conversations are being had, actionable points are being made and action is being made towards this issue. And what, what, what are the, the gentlemen's views on how much of a problem racism in, in medicine and in the NHS is, particularly obviously for black people? Kahindi, do you want to pick up? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, health service, NHS is no different than any other part of society. I mean, you know, we live in a racist society. So why would you be surprised that there's racism in medicine? I and mean, that's been the, the big takeaway for me from this COVID thing, has been why anybody would possibly be surprised that black people and minority ethnics are more likely to die. Because that is just the experience across most health inequalities. You find that same thing. So I think if you really look at it, the evidence is clear. And COVID's just the latest in one of the very long line of examples that there is lots of racism medicine today well I, i'd say that um, basically it's a reflection of society so because we have um 
there is racism, racism and structural problems in society is going to be reflected in, in, in medicine. And what COVID has really done is, um, it's, uh, COVID is like a stress. It's stressed the system and it's, it has exposed the racism that's always been there. And, and that's what we're seeing. So yes, there's racism in medicine, just as there is in every other um, areas of society and, and um, COVID has just exposed it. But it could have been an economic crisis and we'd have seen a similar kind of thing. Hey, Khadija, could you give us some kind of real life examples of during this period in particular, or as someone that's been working on the front line, um, of examples of, of blatant racism? So someone, you know, working in the hospitals, the engagement with, um, you know, senior nurses, just that, that particular environment and industry. Give us some examples of, of what you would say is an example of racism for, your, for, for black doctors and nurses. Yeah. So um, within the healthcare profession, a lot of the time the racism can either be overt or it can be sort of implicit, pushed under the rug, um, what we sometimes call the unconscious bias or even so microaggressions in the workplace. And when it comes to overt racism, it can be from your colleagues, but also from your patients. Um, for for some reason, a random reason, um, or a deep underlying reason, because of the colour of your skin, um, these other health healthcare professionals or counterparts from different ethnic backgrounds seem to have a problem or comment on essentially your blackness or just the fact that you are black. Um, it is appalling and you can even have patients tell you they don't want to be treated by you because you're black. Um, and it's just, it's very sad. There are a lot of stories and even on the part of Melanin Medics, we do have doctors and even medical students, um, allied health professionals come to us, tell, tell us their stories of what they are experiencing day to day in the profession, which they studied extremely hard for the profession that they completely deserve to be, the place that they deserve to, to get or to have for them to be treated in such a way is, is completely appalling and changes definitely need to be made from, of course, from the ground level upwards, but we also need to remember that this is an institutional thing. The people at the top definitely need to be making rules and build in policies to help bring about a change. And Kahindi, as someone that's a, a historian, the history, you know, someone that studies the history of black, black, black studies and specialises in that area, talk to me a little bit about the kind of overlapping of racism that goes within the history of this country and the NHS in particular? Well, yeah, it's interesting because the NHS is, is really cherished. Uh, also, it's a place where lots of us work, right? I mean, if you're Caribbean, I think pretty much everybody's got a nurse in their family. Like, that's just, that's a standard, right? So it has been a place where we've got employment. Uh, it is also one of the most diverse workforces, as well as being one of the, it's the third largest workforce in the entire world. Um, so in some ways, the NHS can seem quite progressive. You know, lots of Asians, lots, there's lots of black staff. Lot, it's, it's a place where we get jobs and stuff. Um, but actually, if you look at the history of it, it's really not there at all. It is a history of colonialism. I mean, it, it starts off as a national health service in 1948. But most of the colonies are still are still part of the empire, right? But it isn't a health service for Jamaica or India or the Caribbean. It's a health service for this little island uh, where all the, the people are drained out, effectively, of from the Caribbean, from India and from uh, the different parts of the world. And that still is the case today. And it kind of has this deep colonial links. And if you look at one of the reasons why, so why is it that of all the healthcare staff, is such a predominance of black minority ethnic people? It's because of the place that we are in the NHS has always been on that kind of front line. But black people are going to nursing and they're on the front line. And um, even the doctors are more likely to be on the front line. Um, and it is this kind of disposable use of, of black bodies for the health service. 
And if you look at the structure of it, so there was a report a couple of years ago called uh, Snowy White Peaks, and they looked at the NHS and looked at the top of the NHS, it's just almost all white people, right? There's very little progression. There's huge problems in terms of bullying, harassment. Um, it's, it's, just a, it's just a really terrible colonial institution, uh, which unfortunately has perpetuated racism rather than, rather than combated. And Winston, so we've been told in this whole period that you know black people are dying at a higher rate because you know there's something about us that's, that makes us more susceptible to this particular disease. Talk to us a little bit about why you think that's absolute nonsense and and what the work you've been doing has it's, it's been debunking that that really dangerous myth. Well, let, let's go back when when the, the pandemic pandemic started. The first thing I noticed was that. Basically, they were using race to explain, if you like, the impact of COVID-19. So they'd come on the newspaper, newspapers, TV, whatever, and they'd be talking about COVID-19, and they'd be using race to explain, explain its impact. And then I also noticed that they were also using, if you like, um, COVID-19 to redefine race and what race was, if you like. So I, I found that really challenging and disturbing because I can see lots of um, consequences for that. and. As a bioscientist, I know that basic race, because it's a, as Kehinde will confirm, it's a, if you like, it's a social construct. There is no scientific basis towards it. So if you're going to link something that, if you like, we understand, like the infection of a virus um, with science, you can't then link that to something like race. There's no connection, but yet they were trying to make this connection. And that really worried me. And then they'd also add things like the pre-existing conditions like diabetes and cardiovascular diseases and all of those things and because um, for again for structural reasons our communities tend to suffer more from those um, conditions they were then linking those to COVID and the whole thing was just getting if you like um, conflated and confused and it was it, I think it was giving ammunition to those people because there are a group of people in our society who'd love to show that there are actually serious differences between in terms I'm talking about biological differences between different human groups and this was, if you like, this was, you know, this was ammunition for them. So I wanted to challenge that. That's been the main thing I've been trying to do over the last um, two or three months in my writing to try and sort of challenge the, these assumptions because most of them are not based on, if you like, scientific fact, but just based on people's assumptions about race. Yeah. Even just to um, add on to that, it even mm, highlights right. the other health inequalities. For example, how black people. Uh, all black patients are seen to be able to have a higher pain threshold and it makes you wonder so I've been in medical school for five years now I have a couple months left until I officially become a doctor and it makes me go back and think okay in my five years of medical education where was the point in which I was taught having simply having more melanin in your skin means that you can take on suddenly so much more pain that you are then refused to receive the adequate pain management you need to treat your condition or your disease and then that is what leads to these medical students or even doctors having these false beliefs which eventually leads to more black people dying if we look at maternal mm. mortality women are five times more likely to die from um giving birth but then it's like when you read deeply as um dr winston said um physiological differences cannot be the reason because if that is the case then it's only feeding the ideal or the narrative that white women have ideal bodies and so black women or other ethnic minorities um, have defective bodies as to why they can't give birth. With coronavirus, why are black people more dying more? Let's take a look back home in Africa, countries back home, are black people dying more over there 
clearly it's not due to race. There's something else in the system that's killing our people. So as you can say, that was one of the things that was the most interesting is that look, COVID's tore through the West, right? It's Europe, it's America. It's basically white countries where it's devastating. So you'd think it'd be pretty obvious to see this is not a biological thing. And the reason that we, even in, both in America and here, the reason why black people are more likely to, to die from this is nothing to do with genetics. It's everything to do with society, right? It's about the fact that almost all of us live in cities. Almost, we live in the, not just in cities, but inner cities, so crowded. We also right. tend to do key worker jobs, far more likely to do key worker jobs, so to be exposed, far more likely to be on public transport, far more likely to be economic disadvantaged. Um, so it's clearly a social aspect, but actually you still hear this nonsense about genes and take some vitamin D, which just tells you how <laughs> deeply rooted these race are and biology are and how we understand them. Most of the challenges I've got are from people trying their best, sending me lots of research papers, trying to prove that there is a biological difference. That, that's, that you, you get, a, as I said, a small population of people who just want to prove that there's this biological difference between um, different races, and they'll do anything to do that. And it, it, it's, it's really frustrating, really challenging, but you have to challenge it. No, totally. And just go back to kind of Kahindi's point there about the fact that so many black people are dying is because of the roles and the jobs that we do in society. It was really annoying and frustrating for me personally, seeing members of our own community spending so much time trying to lobby government into reviews and investigations, into looking into why black people were dying during this period. When for me, it was obvious where I live here in South London, the people that clean the streets, that drive the buses, that are the Uber drivers, that are the, on the front line of the NHS, the, the kitchen porters, they generally are black people. So the, the issue really for me wasn't, well, why are we dying? The issue for me was we should have been lobbying people to protect us. So if we are gonna be cleaning the streets, driving the buses, driving the tubes on, on the underground, can you protect us? Did, did anybody else get a bit more, a bit frustrated at the fact that there was too much time spent on trying to find out the why and not enough time working out how to protect us? If we're going to be if we're going to be doing these jobs yeah i mean the why is up here like i mean so so i wrote this like i'm not even an expert on health health inequalities is not my expertise uh but i wrote this like mostly like literally but i could have written it before the whole thing started and said this is why because it's obvious anybody who's paying any attention would know that a was more we're going to be more likely to die and b the reasons why we're going to be more likely to die. but unfortunately the, the the media the government have so little interest in these issues that it's like a surprise, like a shock. So the only thing they can do is say, let's have a review. Uh, let's get Tura Phillips' other review. Let's, like, let's look at how bad that is. And then you have a review that comes out and tells us what we already knew, and then nothing happens. So it's just that is what always happens with issues of racism. Uh, and we need to be lobbying in a different way, because we know the problem. But I, I understand to a certain extent why people, some people call for the review, because as, uh, as we've said, all this information was coming out. We were challenging it. We were saying it's not genetics. Uh, um, it's down to social conditions. But unless you actually, people aren't accepting this. So we then said, well, let's show, let's provide some evidence. And that's what, in a sense, the review did. And it came up to me with some really important recommendations in terms of how the system needs to change if we're going to, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to move forward. So there were some positives out of the review. Yes, I agree. We could have predicted what their conclusions was going to be, that it was going to be structural racism. But by having that review, it, you know, it, it, it sort of hopefully it might stop some people from you know, making excuses. Does anybody think that this period has made us 
as as the UK value the NHS um, even more, and there could the positive impact of valuing it more during this particular period is a reduction in racism, or is that a very very naive question to ask? <laughs> um, for me, I would say it's partly a naive question in terms of everybody appreciating the NHS. I can take it. Yes, yeah, sense that. <laughs> Well, their form of appreciation is claps every Thursday, but um, real appreciation is think about the professionals who are every day leaving their families to risk their lives to save others. How about you perhaps solve some of their issues? We leave medical school, nursing school, midwifery school, or the allied healthcare professional um, university degrees with thousands and thousands of major debts that we still have to pay off. So it just makes you question the extent of their um, appreciation. Um, claps, you know, they're nice, but to a certain extent, are you going to finish my or finish paying my student fee loan? Are you going to wipe it out? Are you going to give me the adequate mask and protection that I need? No. Don't even get pay rise. Don't even get pay rise. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And in a sense, that 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 that's the real problem about the NHS, and one of the reasons why you found more. Um, black doctors and, and nation doctors um, suffering more is because they're, they're the ones who are, as Kinder said earlier, are in those inner city hospitals um, on the front line. And one of the things, it, it, remember, older people are more likely to die. So what you'll find is um, because of the structures of the NHS and how people progressed, you'll be an older doctor in, in that kind of frontline position. And so you're more likely to, to suffer because of those structural positions. Whereas normally some, uh, many of the doctors who've died wouldn't be on that kind of frontline service. They might be perhaps a, uh, in a quiet GP practice somewhere, not in the hospital on the front line. So those are structural problems within the NHS um, that, that need to, needs to be tackled. And also having the power to make sure that those, uh, those other workers in the NHS have, for example, proper PPE. That was one of the big issues uh, um, which led to the higher numbers of sort of the, um, the, the nurses and the healthcare assistants and whatever um, suffering more because they they, were, they didn't have access to those health those PPEs and there was no one in the senior position to say why aren't these people also getting it so the, the structures within the NHS needs to be changed and that's what some I, I think that's some of the things that the uh, review actually recommended that we needed to look again at how these um, organisations are, are put together. Yeah, and I think also like the social care aspect of it, can't miss that either. Because I mean, the social care, you look at care workers, again, disproportionately likely to be black and active minority. That's a really low paid and nobody cares. And there's very little applause or anything for, for that sector at all. And so, and I think it just, it just goes back to like, when they founded the NHS, one of the reasons that they, um, they brought over Caribbean nurses, Asian nurses, is because they didn't want white women to do that labor. Like they thought this is, this is really frontline labor. We don't want white women doing this labor. This is actually one of the main drivers for getting that colonial workforce in the first place. And I think if we're honest, that's still there today, right? Like you've got, why, why are they not nursing bursaries for people in the UK? Part of that is driven by this idea that this kind of work, that kind of caring work, that kind of front frontline work, and particularly social care as well, that isn't work that we really want to do and we'll get black and brown people. And now you're seeing what the, and the COVID just showed you what the, one of the results of that I don't know, and if in terms of appreciation, like I said, there's no real appreciation. It's just clapping, a bit of token, this and that. But have you seen anything from the government yet? Yeah, I ain't seen a thing. 
Uh, it'd be interesting to see where it goes forward, but I strongly doubt that 70 years of history is suddenly going to change. So having said all of that, guys, radical idea, but is it time we took our skills and went elsewhere or did something else? Because I think it's disgusting that a time when the country needed its nurses and doctors to save them, many of them were, were members of our community, were black, black people, and they weren't being protected in protecting us. So we've all, you know, we all know a family member, or maybe we're in families where going into medicine or being a doctor or a, or a nurse was something that our families told us they want us to do. That's the route we want you to go down. I don't know if that's changing now, the new generation of, of, of black people, younger black people, but do we need to take our skills and say, you know what, if you're not going to protect us, when we're here protecting you, you know what, cool, you have it to yourself. Where, 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 when you say go, go elsewhere, what do you mean? Because the, I don't mean, I don't mean is, geographically. I mean, a, <laughs> yeah, because I'm just thinking uh, we live in a highly racialized society with lots of inequalities, and it's in every sector. So you're a talented um, young boy or girl go, leave, leaving school, going to university. There's going to be racism and, and, and those kind of challenges in whatever profession you go into. So um, it's not a matter of but, but, isn't, but, isn't, but isn't a difference? Isn't a difference? Sorry, that in this profession they're being killed. Black black doctors and nurses because they're not being protected by the government they're supposed to be serving. They're dying. Whereas I accept there's racism in every industry, but not every industry as a result of it. Are you going to die? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mm. I think... If we do take back our skills, who is going to be left to look after our people? Who's going to be left to look after our parents, our children, siblings? So in that sense, I do think we cannot take back our skills. But definitely a lot of um, health professionals nowadays, a lot of black medical doctors nowadays are starting to go down the entrepreneurial route and start their, opening their own practices um, 
privately in order to help people of similar backgrounds. Now, going down that route is definitely important for our communities, but we also need to consider the people who won't be able to necessarily afford those. And with that being said, we definitely would need to keep our skills within the NHS in order to help our communities. But with that being said, we shouldn't have to risk our lives while doing so. Otherwise, if we're gone, who's going to look after them? With and that, and then for that reason, we do need to have the adequate protection in place, which is up to the government to, you know, take more seriously and do something about. But in terms of our children, are we teaching them to still consider this path? I think it is not being emphasised as much in schools, especially in state schools. So I do a lot of um, outreach going into these schools, especially across London, speaking to state schools, um, government funded schools, um, so areas like Islington, Hackney, and just speaking to these students, it it's a way, it's almost as if there is some sort of invisible glass ceiling or a barrier to which the students feel as though they won't be able to achieve such um, careers, becoming a doctor or a lawyer or um, any other similar career, going down any other similar career path. Now, for that, those could be due to environmental reasons, having teachers who don't really know exactly how to get into those particular career paths or teachers who mostly don't really believe in them, which is what leads to the whole idea of if students are being given their predicted grades, the black children are going to suffer during this period because already teachers don't have as much faith in them as they would have in their white students. So we're just becoming, already we're disadvantaged at that level, but co coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic has put us another step backwards in terms of our children seeking such careers. Yeah, and also I think that's the other thing, like look, the NHS is the third largest employer in the whole entire world. As much as it is problematic, um, the public sector generally, the NHS in particular, has been one of the places you can get jobs and not just a job, you can get a career, right? It's not equal, it's problematic, but it's no worse than anywhere else. It might be better than some of the private sector as well. And then if you look more globally, like why is it still there's so many uh, doctors and nurses coming from abroad? It's money, it's income. Like you could be a nurse in Sierra Leone or you could be a nurse in, in Britain. And where are you going to make more money? Where are you going to make more income? Uh, which again is one of these big legacies of the, of the NHS, where actually the NHS saves millions of pounds a year because it literally just steals nurses from places like Sierra Leone and doesn't train them, but they come over here and then, and then work in the NHS. In fact, at the height of the Ebola um, crisis, where you know, it was in Sierra Leone, we actually had something like 20% of the doctors and nurses who were trained in Sierra Leone working in the English NHS, which just tells you this is a, a global problem as well. So when we think about like what draw our labor, but where are you going? Like, I mean, where are you going to go? This is NHS tracks our labor because it's one of the places we can earn um, a decent yet exploited living, unfortunately. And until that changes, I'm not sure what we can do. Mm. No, no, I definitely say definitely consider a career in medicine or nursing or one of the paramedical sciences. Definitely. I mean, I, 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 I part of my job, I, I, I do some teaching for our adult nursing course. You know, and, and when you see those, these tend to be, as I said, slightly older women, mainly, and some men. And, you know, it, it's they're on a new path and they're very excited. And even this COVID thing hasn't really put them off. And I don't think it should. We should, in a sense, take even greater ownership of the, the NHS if we're going to work in it and um, aspire to get into more senior positions so that we can make those decisions. As I was saying about things like, you know, being in the management position so you can actually say, right, we need more PPE in that kind of position. Because um, obviously we've learned lessons from this pandemic. So 
um, this kind of situation won't happen again, but there are going to be new pandemics. So we want more um, black people, more Asian people in senior positions in the NHS so that they can actually um, really control what's happening rather than be bystanders and, and, and victims. And also yeah, the patients. Actually gonna patient, be... The patients need us. Be there. Yeah. Well, that, that was actually my next, my next question was going to be, I'll ask the two other guests, um, you kind of answered it there, uh, Winston. Do, do we wrongly assume maybe that having more black people in senior positions within the NHS will help black people, uh, you know, long term? Or is it dangerous to think that just because we now have a black head of the NHS, a little bit like the Obama effect of America, just because we've got a black, a black president, that doesn't mean that black people are going to be better off. Or, or is that an answer to addressing how we are treated within this country medically? I think um, it is wrong to, well, in my opinion, I think it's wrong to assume that. Um, we definitely do need more representation at senior leadership um, in the NHS. I was reading a um, statistic and it was saying 92% of those sitting on the NHS boards are white males. And this has actually increased from 85% in the period time bracket of 2018 to 2019, which you would be thinking is going the opposite direction, but instead it's increasing, which is getting much worse. And so it just fuels the problem, the whole institutional racism that's going on. It's starting from the top downwards. It is essentially a bunch of white men sitting around the table who temporarily want to wear the savior, let's save racism, let's end racism, complex hats and essentially want to try and fix these problems for which they have no idea they do not have they do not understand or um, have empathy towards those situations and the only way for us to do that is to get people like ourselves sitting at those tables but it's not for you to only get the one person at the table and have them as your token but it's for you to have pe representation at all levels in the system in order to help bring about positive and accurate change uh, Winston, let me let me ask you: Do you care of the ethnicity of the person that is that is um, helping you? When so, if you go, goes to the doctors or you go to the hospital, does it matter to you if that person is is black or not, or is your primary concern that how good they are? Well, on an individual level, I don't care. But I'm because I'm a scientist, I look at numbers, and I'd want to know that the probability of me getting a uh, um, someone who looks like me treating me at some stage, you know, if I encounter the if I enter the NHS, is 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 a reflection of the number of people who look like me in the population. So yes, it, on an individual level, it doesn't necessarily matter, but it does matter in terms of numbers and statistics. And also, sometimes someone from your background will have a certain insight that others might not have. Whether it could be about your diet, it could be about certain. Um, habits you have that, that that's a legacy from your your culture that's called, that's also in, important it informs um, um how, how you're treated and also another important thing about that is it will actually help the other doctors if you have a doctor and he or she has never met or worked with another uh, doctor from another ethnicity but he has lots of patients from that ethnicity he'll have a kind of you know he, he'll have a different view whereas if he has a, a colleague who is from the same communities as his patients he will perhaps respect his patients more and treat them better and not see them as if you like as inhuman or less human or whatever so it's really important that you have uh, someone from different communities in the medical profession in any profession really. 
Kendi, let me ask you, during the last kind of couple of months where there were so many protests um, linked to Black Lives Matter, the, the kind of the blowback from government and people that didn't understand why they, why they were protesting was, there's a pandemic, you guys are more likely to get it. Why are you guys going out and grouping up and putting yourselves in a position where you guys can, can, can die? What did the fact that so many black people were still out because they believe they're still out protesting during during the spring? What did that say to you about how we treated and our thoughts on on the coronavirus? Yeah, I mean, it's just a reminder that racism is a matter of life and death, and the fact that people, so many people, are going there in a pandemic, which is more likely to kill us, and we still think it's really important that we go out and protest, just tells you the level to which we should be taking this seriously. And we don't take, so when we're protesting about racism, I mean, that's what we're protesting about. COVID, the, the disparities are produced by COVID, are produced by racism. And it's not just that, it's police brutality, it's everything else, it's all these other indicators, right? And so we have to make our voices heard and be known about that. And I think also, just tying back to the last question, one of the things which this generation are, are finding is that, you know, for the last 50 years, We've kind of gone on this route that says, well, look, if we can get into these institutions, it's only 1965 that you could actually, you could, it was illegal not to discriminate on the base of race in this country. So we kind of been on this track where if we can get into the institutions, if we can get some representation, uh, maybe we can get some black politicians, hey, America had a black president, um, as things are going to get better. Unfortunately, things haven't got better. Things are still exactly as bad as they were before. And so I think that is a reminder that we need to change the institutions. And that's why people are still at progress. Uh, and we'll continue to protest until there's meaningful change. And Khadija, as someone that, that works in the medicine profession, were you slightly conflicted when you saw so many black people out protesting? Because on, I don't know, did your, did your professional side think to yourself, this is really bad for our community? And did the other side, did your personal side think, but this is a, this is a necessary evil? No, of course, definitely, because, um, of course, you know, we were hearing being black, you're more likely to die from COVID-19. But on the other hand, we had thousands of people um, on the streets marching, protesting for this serious cause. So but what made me um, sort of at ease was seeing how people were, you know, making sure that they were socially distanced. A lot of people were wearing their masks, had their sanitizers. So people were taking the necessary precautions, but I definitely believe that they needed to do that in order to bring up um, awareness about the Black Lives Matter movement. So on, of course it was very divided, but I was here for it. I am standing by them and that, that was what needed to be done. Yeah, the protesters are taking more effort to protect people than the government. I mean, this is this is the same government that has so many mixed messages. Didn't shut down the economy. Um, has kept Dominic Cummings still in power. Wants to lecture people about about, about taking precautions. <laughs> I mean, I I, I protest. I'm a pro I would usually protest, but uh, we had very clear guidelines. When if you if you have someone vulnerable, don't come. Make sure you're wearing a mask. Make sure you socially distance. Make sure that you uh, for two weeks you isolate afterwards. So actually, the protesters were thinking about this. We all were on our minds. Like I said, far more than the actual government. Yeah. And just going back to the question, I'm really interested to know what you think about the, the question before last, Gindi. How, how Do you care about the ethnicity of, of the caregivers, the nurses, the doctors that will be serving you if and when you should need medical help? Many examples where it does matter, right? If you think about the pain example that was given before, 
you think about the racism which just generally permeates through the NHS. I mean, you got that brother. I can't remember his name, but he's making a, a, a this medical student, right? He's making a a different uh, advice because they don't talk about race in, in diagnosis things like that. It tells you that it, it does really matter, right? There are certain things which you do need uh, some representation there. I mean, on the one hand, look, as long as I don't die, do I really care if it's, it's white, black, or Asian? But I do think there are some really specific examples where it does matter. And I think sometimes we forget that medicines, like any other discipline, is Eurocentric as anything. And we do need different perspectives to fully understand uh, what's going on. I just think that's a really important point about the research in medicine, because that's some of the things I'm, I look at a lot of scientific papers now where uh, the basis for, for example, for example, in blood pressure, um, there's a different treatment for if you're a black mm -hmm. man versus if you're a white man. Now, yeah. if, when I've been looking at the research that on, uh, that underpins that, and it's, some of it is quite dodgy. Um, and, wow. but, but because, and, and someone like me, I can see that. For example, they make assumptions about um, uh, um, black South Africans versus um, West Africans, and they assume that every African is the same. Um, and, and all kinds of assumptions that they make that they can't see. Um, and so that's why, that's another reason why you need, if you like, people who know and understand these communities to sort of um, help in, in terms of research and direct the research so that people don't make these mistakes because our community will suffer if you're giving the wrong treatment because you haven't really understood um, um, the, the communities, then it, it, it's quite a dangerous thing. And Khadija, same question to you. Why is it important to you if it is indeed, you know, the ethnicity of the person that should you need help um, is serving you? Um, so I would say in an ideal world, it shouldn't matter. But um, because of the society that we live in today, it does matter to an extent. It matters because you're there to advocate for your patient. You're there to ensure that. So, for example, communication barriers. If you have a patient that is of the same ethnicity as you, you can definitely communicate with them in that same language that you both share in order to receive all the information of that patient history. Because often, sometimes, um, patients are shunned away or they're not taken as seriously because of the fact that they simply may not even understand English. It's all about catering towards their needs and adapting toward to, to the different needs that every single patient has. And in order for us to do so is to ensure that we maintain the diverse workforce that we have. But the people looking after the diverse workforce need to understand and um, take them seriously, but also have rules and policies in place to ensure that they are protected as well. And just finally, guys, solutions. So, you know, what lessons can we learn from COVID-19 as the black community kind of going forward? And as a kind of addition to that question, how much self-responsibility do we have to take? Because we can lobby and push and expect our government to, to do better by us and to not put out propaganda of scientific uh, lies about the makeup of our bodies and the chemistry and all that sort of stuff. But what can we as black people, what should we be doing to ensure that we are doing the best that we can to ensure that uh, we're giving ourselves the best chance of living healthy and living full stop? Uh, well, I mean, uh, sorry, so I mean, like racism, I think we have to remember that racism is a matter of life and death and none of these things are separate. So I think that's really important. This COVID thing is not a health thing. It's a, a structural racism in society. There's no way you're going to get good health outcomes. When we have a, when we live in a racially unjust society, so we, we have to connect these things together. 
uh, I think this government has shown very clearly that the government, that you cannot rely on the government at all to address these issues properly and sincerely. Um, and so therefore we need to be doing what we need to do to ensure that we are building and we are making alternatives and that we are improving the conditions that we live in. That's really the only way you're going to get good health in the community is when the economic and the political health of the community is strong as well. And I think that is up to us to do and we can't really rely on the government or anyone else. Yeah, I'd say most most in our community, I would say, wouldn't have been surprised by what's happened because, because I said, as uh, others have said already, it's happened before and it's happening all the time. So it's not a surprise to us. What we really need to do is to, um, I don't know, get in there, if you like, and sort of um, be more influential, more vocal when nonsense like um, it's about you being black while you're suffering from COVID, you go out there and you challenge it. Just be prepared to do that rather than just accepting it and start worrying because um, uh, newspapers are saying, you know, black people are more susceptible. So it's about challenging these sort of negative narratives and, um, and, and, and confronting them and forcing the government politically, like people did on the streets with uh, Black Lives Matter, and actually sort of, you know, forcing them to at least look at things. Whether they do anything is another matter. Uh, it's, it's, it's constantly challenging these sort of like... Um, sort of negative narratives about who you are and what we, what you can do. Yeah, um, and just to add on to that, definitely, well, in terms of Melanin Medics as a charity, we are definitely continuing to advocate for our med medical students and our doctors who are of ethnic, um, sorry, who are black, um, advocating on their front, ensuring that we are working with the General Medical Council, as well as the British Medical Association, to um, have institutional change there. We need to see a representative leadership board across all levels within our healthcare systems. But we also need to emphasise the important point of having allies, um, as well as advocates, to help support us. Because um, during this particular time, a lot of um, people have been able to stand up and challenge these situations that are, are occurring. A lot of big brands that we know have been essentially shaking in their boots because of what is going on to end racism within their particular industries. And so we can definitely do the same for medicine, for healthcare, and um, ensuring that people stand up for us. This is, this is a fight for everyone. It's not a fight for black people only. It's a, everybody needs to take it as their number one priority, whether you're black, white, Asian, is something for us all to fight, essentially. Yeah, I, I, sorry, just just to go on. I mean, one I've just written a paper. I'm trying to get it published, now, and it's about how we have to ensure that um, medical training, basically, and making sure that doctors actually understand race and racism and how it works. Because one of the the problems was that when when they came on, they couldn't actually challenge these sort of racist ideas about blacks being more susceptible for, for genetic reasons, they wouldn't or couldn't. And partly, I believe, is because they didn't have the ammunition, the scientific ammunition to uh, confront racism. Because um, if you, most doctors now, they've grown up in a time when race is a norm. They don't know where it came from. They don't know the origins. Of it. They just think you know, you're black, you're white, and it's actually something real. They don't, haven't realized that these are, if you like, social constructs. So they need to be retrained so that they actually understand what race is. And, and literally it's just um, skin deep. Uh, Dr. Morgan, uh, Professor Andrews and Khadija Owusu, guys, thank you so much for joining me um, on this week's All Black Academic. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Don't forget to check out our website, blackademic.com. All of our previous shows and content 
is on there. Lots of information about the team behind Blackademic. Also, subscribe to our Blackademic TV channel on YouTube if you haven't already. And we're across all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Until next time, look after the people then. Stay well. Peace. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.